Welcome to Surfcast. Thank you for joining me. My guest today is Evie West. Now, that's Sergeant Evie West with the Cleveland, Tennessee Police Department. You're going to enjoy this conversation. Just a quick little bit from her resume. Her life's resume includes being an ex-gang member from California, two-time teen mother who was faced with the decision to terminate her second unborn son. However, through God's amazing grace, she has been redeemed and has lived to tell about it. She is a published author. Most of all, she's our friend here at Lee University, and I think you're going to like this conversation. Stick around for this interview with Sergeant Evie West. Guys, we're back. Evie, welcome to Servecast. How are you doing today? Thank you. I'm wonderful. It's an honor to be here. Thank you so much. Now, it's a sunny day in East Tennessee. We're pretty sure that when people listen to this episode, it's probably not going to be, it's going to be raining for us and not sunshine, huh? That's true. It's sixty. going to be 63 degrees today, and I'm looking forward to the sunshine, yeah. definitely. Now, you're a Lee University, actually Lee College alum, so you've been hanging around the campus for a long, long time. Is that right? I started when it was Lee College. I graduated when it was Lee University. Nice. Yeah, nice. I was thankful for that. Nice. Now, your mom, we talked about that on the onset. We'll unpack all of that in a little bit. Um, Your husband, Brandon. So, you know, we we love you, Evie. You guys are good people and good friends of us here at Lee University. Thank you. um, I'm very proud of this uh, campus. I'm proud of the school. I'm proud of this community. This is where my my transformation took place. So this is a very special place to me. I want to talk about that in just a few minutes. But before I do, give us a little bit of insight on who Evie West is. Now, we know that 20 years with the police department, you're now a a public information officer. Yeah, I'm a a sergeant over our community relations unit, but part of my job description is also to be um, a um, a, a public information officer, which means I uh, disseminate, I write and disseminate press releases when we have a major event that happens. And that could be, you know, people think of major events like like shootings, uh, school shootings or whatever, but a major event to us would be a a fatality, a vehicle fatality, a homicide, um, anything that the news would want to report on, um, something something pretty serious. Now, I know because we, we see you in, in action here, you know, but I know that you're, you're very good at that and you're it's kind of a, a gift and a little bit of a calling, I think, for you in some ways. But you are a post-certified officer. I mean, you've been around this thing, you know, kind of walked the beat, rode the beat, kind of done that thing. How in the world did you get involved with your crazy history that we're going to unpack in a little bit? How in the world did you shift into being a police officer it was literally William it was divine intervention it was never something that I I chose it was never something that I studied it was never something that was a a burning desire you talk to these police officers here and some of them say oh I have you know pictures of me at two years old with a police uniform or my my grandfather was the police chief or uh, my uncle and my father was a police officer that was never that never ran in my family I don't have anybody in my family that are police officers. Um, it was just something literally that divine intervention. And, and the reason why I know it was divine was because in 2006, uh, seven, I had a supervisor that really challenged me. Mm-hmm. And I was to the point where I got physically ill just because it was, it was really difficult. And so um, I decided it, my time is up here. And I'm going to put my, my resume in. I wanted to be a pharmaceutical sales rep. I had put my, um, my application in different places, uh, big, big business businesses around, uh, around Cleveland. And all of a sudden, uh, the chief of police, and no one knew, but the chief of police called me and said, hey, would you fill the role of public information officer recruiter for the police department? And so I was re- removed.
moved out of the schools and out from under the supervision of that that supervisor and then um, put at the police department under the supervision of the chief of police. Mm-hmm. And so um, I here again, God was like, this is this is not it's not my time for you to leave yet. Sure. Um, I still have my hand on you. There's still work for you to do. Right, right. Okay, let's go all the way back to 1996. 1996, you're living in California, and then somehow you wind up here in Cleveland, Tennessee. Now, if you were able to be with us at Convocation this year, you heard part of Evie's story. But Evie, we have listeners from about 35 countries, and we have people who are not even associated with Lee University. So they don't know who you are. They don't. They weren't in the Convocation that night when you spoke. And so... Um, share with us a little bit about this, this, because you use the word transformation, you know, even in your book, you talk about that. Let, let's unpack that for a minute. What happened in 1996? How in the world did you get here to Lee University? Bring us up to speed on that story. Okay. Um, so I'm going to go back just a little bit. Like, like William said, I was raised in California, really came from a great family. You know, my parents. So for the first 12 years of my life, I would say my life was perfect. But when I, um, when I turned 12 and my mom lost her job at the airlines because the, the company went bankrupt, uh, they had to make the decision to put me in a public school. Mm-hmm. Now, mind you, I had been raised as a Christian, loving Jesus as a young, from a young age, but had been a private school my, up to 12 years old. So when I went into the public school in Southern California in, mm-hmm. in uh, 1989, I was challenged with the opportunity to try to figure out who I was. And, mm-hmm. and I, you know, and, and the middle school age you're desperately searching for your identity. Um, so here I am, white skin, green eyes, light hair, and everyone around me is Mexican-American. And they're black, you know, they got black hair, dark skin, and I did not fit in. Mm-hmm. And because I did not fit in, I was targeted, I was bullied, I was beat up, I was my money was taken from me. And so I had to make the decision, like, in order to get through school, I got to be like these people. Yeah. And those people were gang members. Mm-hmm. So I made a decision to get jumped in a gang. I made a decision to commit criminal behavior, criminal behavior. I stole cars. I got arrested for shoplifting at 14. Um, I tried dope. I messed around with alcohol. Um, I started living a risky life as far as sexual behavior and, 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 and had um, got pregnant when I was 16 years old. Um, you would think that that would slow me down, but it didn't. I just kept literally spiraling out of control, and I was going downward. Mm-hmm. Um my son's father went to prison for um, for selling for selling drugs, and so um, I kept partying and I kept doing all the stuff that I wanted to do that f- that made me feel good. And um, it finally came to a head in December of '95 when my when I came in. I was probably high or drunk that that night. I wasn't really I wasn't really all there, but my mom gave me a letter and she said, "It's over. Like you, can't, we're not enabling you anymore." Mm-hmm. And so I said, what does this mean? She's like, you can't stay here. Mm. So I just figured if I kind of improved my behavior a little bit, that things would change. It was literally probably two weeks later that I walked in, um, and it was January 8th of 1996. And it's funny how you remember the significant dates. But I walked in. My mom had my bags packed by the door. And I said, what is this? And she said, you're going to Cleveland, Tennessee. And I said... This is your mom, Renee, right? Yes. The one, the one who we know loves yes. everybody in the world. My mom <laughs> loved me. I knew this. And you know what? It's funny because I'll, I'll say when my mom kicked me out of the house, it was the hardest thing that she could do, yeah. but the best thing that saved my life. Yeah. It saved my life. Yeah. And she said, you cannot stay here anymore. Your dad and I have been up praying for you. We've been interceding from 12 to 19, and we're tired, and we're enabling you. And the Lord spoke to her wow. and said, this is it. Done. Wow. you got to send her. So um, I actually turned around and walked out of the house, and I went to a local liquor store, which is around the corner, and I called a guy I had been seeing. 
And I said, hey, can me and my son, he was a gang member. I said, can me and my son live with you till we get on our feet? And he said, I'll be there in 10 minutes. And I thought, oh, the whole way back from that walk, I thought, man, I'll show her. I will show her because when he pulls up, I'm going to grab my bags that she packed and I'm going to leave. And she's going to be like, why in the world did I do that to my daughter? You know, but unfortunately, no, fortunately is what I should say. (laughs) He didn't show up. Yeah. So my dad packs, you know, gets my bags and puts them, packs them in the, in the trunk. And off we went to LAX airport. Yeah. We, during that time is before 9-11, so they could walk all the way up to the gate with you. Yeah. So I didn't say a word to them because I was furious. Yeah. And when the gate agent came and called us to board, I picked up my son and I didn't even turn around and say goodbye to my parents. Yeah. I just got on the plane. And how and, old was your son at this time? Uh, he was two. Okay. And we flew from LAX to Atlanta, Georgia, where my mom had already scheduled somebody, or Alan McClung did, yeah. to pick me up from the airport and bring me to Cleveland, Tennessee, where I wow. was in an empty apartment. And the guy said, hey, I'll be here the next day to take you to lead and roll and get you in classes. Wow. And uh, How old were you at that point? I was 19. Wow. 19 years old. So um, it was just shortly after that I stepped on Lee's campus and met by love and grace and acceptance. Mm-hmm. Um, everything that I hadn't experienced the last 12 to 19, uh, from those years, seven years, from 12 to 19, from my gang member friends who supposedly would die for me. Mm. And, um, man, people showed me my classroom. My teachers were wonderful. Now, at this time, this was 1996, I I was probably the only single mom yeah. on this campus. And I was walking around with a little black-headed, dark-skinned boy yeah. that everyone loved. Everyone knew his name. But he had to come to class with me because I had no job, yeah. no car. Uh, I, I didn't have any place to put him. So mm-hmm. he, I would put a little blanket on the ground, and he would sit with me in class. Um, all day, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and not one teacher said anything to me. You can't have them in here. You got to find somebody. No, nothing. I was just surrounded by love. So let, let's talk about that. So that that happened. You were there, and you graduated in two thousand and one. I guess it was right. So right. you got mm-hmm. your, your bachelor's degree in two thousand one. Yeah. But some things got a little rocky for you too while you were at Lee, right? That's true. I mean, you had That's some true. additional kind of setbacks, right? Yeah, right. So um, talk about that if you don't. And, and again, we're gonna. We're going to talk about your book and recommend people go get your book, you know, because a lot of what your story is, is in the book. There's more details in the book than there are here, but um, in this conversation. But, you know, because I can I can only imagine, right, here you are, you land at Lee University, you're ticked off at your parents, you know, you, you're you in the South now, you, you came out of, you know, California, this is like another major culture shock, right? Totally, totally. So, so, would love to hear the story about, you know, that you graduated in 2001, problem free but you were not problem free while you were here at the university you had some difficulties so give us a little snippet of that and then what made the transition for you to be able to stay in school because a lot of people when they have trouble they want to ditch mm-hmm. right they they can't stick around but you didn't ditch you stuck around and it was difficult and challenging talk about that Evie. sure um so i had been here probably six weeks um i someone told me about the evs evangelistic singers so i tried out for them immediately made 40 friends and i was getting around good i was learning how to uh, get back in school life I, I had a goal um and everyone loved me everyone loved my son and people were helping me and and things were really looking good and mm. then um because of mandatory chapel, uh, I went to convocation one night. And, you guys can't uh, see Evie, but she's like smiling and her eyes are rolling at the same time. Yeah, it's I, like, I didn't like mandatory chapel. chapel I don't I like, but I'm thankful for it at this point. Yes, yes. I didn't like it. I didn't pay attention. 
um, except for one night when a man was up on the stage and he kept talking about how God was pursuing us, how much he loved us. And I remember I was so compelled that night that I, I literally handed my son off to somebody, whoever was next to me, and walked down to the front and lifted my hands and said, God, I'm a big ball of mess. Yeah. And if you can use me and if you're going to love me, then then you're, you know, I, I you have full reign. So mm-hmm. just do whatever you need to do. Mm-hmm. Now, you have you did talk about culture shock and that's right, William. I I looked like a gang member. I walked like one, I talked like one, I dressed like one, I did my makeup like one. I looked so foreign. Yeah. Um and in in California, you just kind of you know, everyone kind of looks the same here. I was totally an outcast, but I was never treated like an outcast. Oh, wow. Say that again. Yeah, I was an outcast, but I was never treated like an outcast. Yeah, like and, that. That, and that was the thing that was so profound to me. And so so I went up there, and I, I, I rededicated my life to Jesus Christ. I surrendered my life to him. And I'm not joking when I tell you this. There was change that happened with those words, I surrender. Yeah. There was change that happened. I'm talking about physical change, mental change emotional and spiritual. I just had this desire to read God's word. And as I read his word, it pierced my heart and began to change the way I looked, the way I walked, the way I talked, everything about me, my whole, the way I thought everything. And it was shortly after, uh, that one Sunday morning I got up and I threw up in the toilet Mm. and I don't ever vomit. I'm not, that's, I don't have issues like that unless I'm pregnant. So I sucked my stomach in and felt a large ball about the size of my fist on the left side of my stomach. And I knew. Yeah. I, I said, I cannot believe this. I cannot believe that. I literally have been here eight weeks. Mm-hmm. And here I am, you know, um, obviously got pregnant in California. And now my life is changing and God's doing amazing work in my life. And um, it's over now. It's over. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, in California, there's just abortion clinics everywhere. So I just thought, you know what? I will, this is a solution to my problem. I'm going to go to this abortion clinic and whatever they do, which is, I don't know if it's a pill, a surgery, a drink, whatever it is, I have got to get rid of this baby Mm -hmm. and I'm going to go back to school and just pretend like nothing will ever happen, you know, nothing happened and God will forgive me because that's what he does. And so, um, I picked up the, the phone book and, um, in, in the yellow pages, it said abortion, uh, post abortion recovery, which I had no idea what that meant. But it said New Hope Pregnancy Crisis Center. Yeah. I was like, perfect. I'm in a crisis. I'm going to go there, and I'm going to have an abortion. So I called, um, made made a, a, an appointment, went there the next day at 10 a.m., filled out the paperwork. They sent me to a room to do a urine test and sent me in a little counseling room. And um, on my way there um, in, inside the lobby, I, um, I saw a Bible. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, you've got to be kidding me. So I get in the room and someone comes in and I says, is this a Christian place? And she yeah. said, yes, we're a Christian um, a pregnancy resource center for women in crisis pregnancies. And I'm like, why in the world are you in the phone book under abortion? She said, no, it's post-abortion recovery. <laughs> so long story short, um, I told her, I cannot have this baby. Yeah. I'm a teenager. I have a two-year-old son. I'm 2,000 miles away from home. I have no money no job, no car, and I'm a lead college student. Yeah. And I will get kicked out if anyone knows I'm ha- I, I'm pregnant. So I can you I need to, you to refer me to a place that is going to take care of my problem. Yeah. Um with some holy spirit uh divine intervention, she uh showed me a video of um what abortion is. I mean, against my will, like I I did not want to stay there any longer. I right. I needed to go take care of my problem. When I saw, when I saw a baby 
die in a womb right in front of me from suffocation from the DNC. Yeah. I was shook. Wow. And then when I saw what a partial birth abortion was, I I, I was wrecked. I, I honestly, I, I just could not, I couldn't do it. Yeah. And I walked out of that place more helpless and hopeless than I had walked in because there that was no longer a solution to my problem. Sure. Um, do you want me to continue? Yes. Okay. So uh, I hid my pregnancy. Uh, I was very skinny at that time. Um, my parents, or, well, actually in, in March, um, I went convocation. I went uh, to Maryland with EBS, and a lady uh, walked up to me, an African-American lady, put her hand on me. She prayed for me and then said, honey, the Lord gave me a word for you. And I said, okay. And she said, the Lord told me you're pregnant. And I thought, Jesus, stop <laughs> telling my secrets to people. I as I begged this lady, please do not tell anyone up on that stage because I'm telling you, I don't want anyone to know this. Sure. This woman became, I mean, she was a godsend. Yeah. I mean, she, she helped me. She said, Evie, you need to go get, um, go get, go to the, the doctor. I said, I don't have money. Starve you drive. You need to go get 10 care. What's 10 care. You can get food stamps. You can get this, that she directed me and, and helped me to get all these resources that I needed at that time. And she's in Maryland at this time. Yes. She's helping you in Tennessee. Oh yeah. Okay. She's calling me. Yeah. And helping me through this. And then brings up the issue of adoption. And I yeah. thought, no way, there's no way I could give my baby to somebody else. Yeah. And she said, you were considering killing it. Yeah. And so, um, so long story short, she knew a pastor in Ohio and that had a couple in, in his church that was looking to adopt. I met this couple. I fell in love with this couple um, and, and ultimately decided to place my son for adoption. All the while, keeping it secret from everyone at Lee, my teachers, my friends, the people in EBS, and my parents who visited me in April of 1996. Um, and Alan McClung, who I saw all the time. Yeah. And Trish. And so um, come May, the finals came. And everyone left. It was a ghost town here, and my stomach popped out. So I hid myself for two months. Yeah. Wrote my parents three weeks before I had my son and said, this is something that happened in California, and I'm to have a baby um, uh, the 1st of August. Please forgive me. My parents forgave me as they usually do, and I went to Bradley Memorial on July 30th, and I birthed a baby boy. Um, it was, William, one of the most difficult things in my entire life. Um, to birth a child, to have a child in my arms, to kiss him, to love him, to hug him, to talk to him and, and ask for forgiveness and say, I'm not giving you to someone because I don't want you. I'm giving you to someone because I want you to have the best life that I cannot give you at this time. Um, and this then, is Joel, right? Yeah, this is my son, Joel. Yeah. And then, um, and then at 530 the next day, um, them, them saying, we're going to come and, 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 and get the baby. And this was it. And I had no promise of ever seeing him again. Um, I just, I couldn't breathe at five o'clock mm -hmm. on that day, July 31st. This was the day they were to come get him. I asked the Holy Spirit to comfort me. Mm -hmm. I said, there's no way. And he was so, it was so interesting how real the presence of God was in that, in that hospital room. Mm -hmm. It felt as if somebody was pouring a warm, a pitcher of warm water over my head. And it calmed me, and I knew that he was with me, and um, that was that was the answer I needed. Mm -hmm. And so um, I placed my son in the car seat, and I watched as they walk as they drove off, and um, and it was difficult. It was difficult. I went home, and my body knew I had just had a baby, but I didn't have 
physically I didn't have my son. Mm-hmm. Um, I had two weeks recovery period until I, I made it back to Lee and, and everyone came back bebopping through the campus. Oh my gosh, Evie, it's so good to see you. How was your summer? And I thought, you have no idea. <laughs> and it was, it was years. It was yeah. years that it took me to come out and share, share my testimony yeah. and, and what God did for me during that time. Now you and Joel have reunited. 2017 in March, he um, messaged my sister and said, I'm ready to meet the family. He came here on March 25th of 2017, wow. and uh, yeah, the Lord just reunited our hearts together. Um, now, there, there obviously is, you know, I think my expectations were a little high mm-hmm. um, of like, oh, he's going to be part of our family now, and, and yeah. we're going to spend Christmases together and just kind of sure. make up for lost time, but I think I realized that this young man, although he's my son, um, yeah. he is a different person, mm-hmm. and um, he has a family and a mom and a dad and, mm-hmm. and grandparents and and that's his family. And mm-hmm. so um, so I'm very grateful for us to be able to communicate. And I've seen him, and he's come and stayed at the house and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, I'm very grateful for that. But more, I'm more grateful that he um, had the life that I was not able to give sure. him at that time in sure. my life. Sure. Let's fast forward. Um, first of all, let's pause and say thank the Lord for the story that he wrote in those days and is continuing to write Amen. you know now you and brandon have two more children right you have well we have uh brooklyn who brooklyn. is brandon's and yep. we're we're kind of we never had children together so, you're so we just okay. yeah so we just kind of combined our children yep. so he is josh's father and i'm brooke's mom good and um yeah good so for we're, you good for you we're very grateful for that yeah it's pretty exciting you know Evie, because i know the backstory and i know and i've seen you know over the years i've seen how god's used you you know we're living in a very tumultuous times right now. I mean, our world is kind of crazy, you know. Um, I, I don't say that in any other way than just pure honesty. And you're working in a profession where you deal with a lot of the crazy stuff, right? Yes. How did that uh, 2001, 1996, you know, that little five, six-year span, you know, um, prepare you to do a career you had no idea you were going to enter at the time? Um, when I came here, uh, is that I, a fair question? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Sense? Yeah, yeah. It's it's a challenging question. It makes me think. But um, I in my when I was here from ninety six two thousand one, I, I studied um, intercultural studies. Yeah, and I studied about missions because I knew that that's what God called me to do. However, in my mind, I thought, oh, I'll be in the jungles of Mexico, Honduras, or you know, Central or South America, working and and uh, being a missionary. And God's like, no, I have different plans for you. Mm. You're going to be a missionary, but you're going to be in Cleveland, Tennessee. Yeah. Um, and, and you thought, well, why, you know, why would I have to, why would I do that? Why would I be a missionary in a place that has 250 plus churches? Mm -hmm. And then God says, because there's need for you there. There's people that are lost. There's people that are hurting. There's people that are, are separated from me. And, um, and I'm going to bring them to you. I'm going to bring, um, the prostitute, the drug dealer, the homeless person, the, the mother who just lost her son in a vehicle fatality. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to bring you the, the parents who um, who have, you're going to bring them the news about their, their daughter um, being shot in the chest. Mm-hmm. And, and you're going to tell them about me. And mm-hmm. that's going to give them hope wow. to continue. Wow. You've been doing that for 20 years. 20 years. Yeah. 20 years. Your book, interesting title, um, 
Revolving Choices, Playing Roulette with Life, mm -hmm. right? Talk yeah. us about the book. Why the book? Why did you write this book? Well, um, in 2010, I, I knew that there, there was not a lot of books um, written by birth mothers about placing their children for adoption. And so I decided that, um, and I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying, this is time for you to, to write this. Now, I had no idea how to write a book or anything. So I, I sat down with Wendy Brown for an entire year and told mm -hmm. her my story um, every Saturday from 10 to 12. And yeah. it really it was a really therapeutic time and, and, and really helped me. And she wrote the book. Mm -hmm. However, um, during that time in my life, I think my, my focus was really, um, it was really pointed toward a, an age group of maybe 15 to 30 yeah. of women that were, could possibly be in, in that situation. Um, since that time, um, I've continued working with the police department. I've become an empty nester. My husband and I have become empty nesters. And I returned back to school and got my master's degree in public safety from right. Tennessee Tech. Um, because of those two years of writing, 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 um, I've become a better writer. And so I have felt the probing um, from the last two years that I'm to write another book because the first one had has no ending. Yeah. I have since um, re reconnected with my son. And um, I think that the Lord has showed me and re really given me revelation on the fact that there are so many people that are in this world that have had pain and trauma that have happened to them. And they think if I just can have this, I can have peace. Mm -hmm. If I can just be reconnected with my son, I won't cry anymore. I won't, I'll, I'll feel this sense of wholeness. If I can just have my husband back and I'm talking about some random person, if I can just have my son back or, or if I can just get off drugs or if I can yeah. do this, I can be whole. Right. But in reality, if we are not connected and we have no relationship with the creator, the person that we're made in his image, sure. we will never be whole. Mm -hmm. And so the second book doesn't just focus on women between 13 or 15 and 30 this is for every person, right. male, female, teen, adolescent, elderly. It doesn't matter mm -hmm. because there are over the course of 20 years, I've realized that I can't just get the message of redemption and restoration to women who have placed their children for adoption because that's a that could be a minority. Right. What I need to do is to share God's message of redemption and restoration to the entire world. Mm -hmm. That's my responsibility. Mm -hmm. That's my mission, my assignment while I'm here. And so God shifted my focus, and I have started writing um, about my reunion with my son, but also sharing just some deep truths about the fact that there are so many people that have been in my journey um, that I have they, they they can identify with me not because they're a birth mother or because they placed a child for adoption, whether they're a man placed a child for adoption. But because we're all ha we all have an issue, mm -hmm. we all have issues and things that stump our growth. And unless we realize that Jesus Christ is the answer to that, mm -hmm. we'll never be healed. We'll never move forward. We'll never progress. Mm -hmm. Wow. So, how did you um, how did you glean from your mom and dad's tough love to becoming a parent yourself? You know, you made a statement a while ago. You said when you came to Lee University, you know, you were obviously an outcast, but you were not treated like an outcast. You know. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of people who don't have a Raphael and a Renee in their life, right? Yeah. They don't have yeah. your parents in their life, and right. they're going through this crazy thing. How did you glean from that? How are you a better parent having been experiencing the tough love? And what kind of encouragement can you give to parents right now who might be dealing 
you know, with an Evie in their life, yeah. but they don't know what to do. Yeah. There's not a recipe to follow. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I figured that out because there were t- things that I did as a parent that I kind of copied my parents and the way they handled me. But, um, here's an interesting perspective. Uh, Brooklyn, I hate to say stepdaughter because I don't, I don't want to put <laughs> no, any, any kind of, you know, yeah. she's my daughter, but she's yeah. not from my, she's not my D does not have my sure. DNA. Sure. And so my son, Josh has my DNA and mm. my son, Josh is a lot like, I mean, exactly like me. So I could be tough with Josh and, and it, it, it kind of helped him on that path. Yeah. But I use the same, um, yeah. strategy with Brooklyn and that was that I couldn't do that yeah. because Brooklyn, um, she's very sensitive. Yeah. And so I think there were times that I probably broke her spirit because I, I use that same strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would not recommend um, using, you know, just because you hear me say that worked for me yeah. for every child. Here, here's the thing. We have to submit every plan, mm-hmm. everything that we choose before our Heavenly Father. He is the greatest parent. Right. And so he knows our children because they, because they are made in his image. And so if we submit our things, like whatever issues that we have, or if we go to him and say, hey, I'm having issues with this, how do I handle this? He will give us the wisdom on how to handle each child dependent on their character and their personality. Mm-hmm. I didn't do that. I right. just kind of took the old recipe card and said, sure. okay, this is what she did for this, yeah. you know, so I'm going to do it like that. And that, that wasn't the right way. And I've, I've seen that now as I've gotten older and had to come back and apologize to my kids because I didn't handle things the right way mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but he is, Jesus is, is our father and, and he knows, you right. know, he knows the right way. Right. What do you say to teenagers? What do you say to an Evie out there who's oh, listening man. to you that, that really, um, you know, you you may be the only voice. You know, they're they're feeling hopeless and helpless at this point. You know, what do you, what can you say to these guys to help them to understand that number one, they do matter. God does love them. Yeah. And you know, you're speaking to somebody who's literally across the world right now. You'll never meet them. Right. You know, what's an opportunity that you can? What would you say to them about coming through the tough tough journey they find themselves in right now? Yeah. Um, wasted time is not is not a good thing. Um, and I think a lot of times the enemy wants us to keep, to keep us so focused on other things that we're off our course, what, Mm -hmm. what we're supposed to be doing. And so, um, I think during that time of being a teenager and trying to figure out who you are, um, the answer is in Psalm 139. Sure. The answer in, in Psalm 139 says, I know who you are. I've known you from, from afar. I know when you sit down, I know when you stand up. I, there's nowhere you can go away from my presence. Um, I am with you. I have formed you in your mother's womb. Um, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Um, once we can grasp that concept and understand that God is our father and that he created us for purpose. Yeah. And if we're not accomplishing that purpose, then we're literally going in circles. Mm-hmm. Um, that is the, that is what I wish that I would have grasped at a young age because um, I wouldn't have wasted time. However, I wouldn't be the same person I am today if I wouldn't have gone through everything mm-hmm. that um, that I went through in the past. Um, but wasted love, wasted intimacy, um, uh, time, you know, with, I think, um, disrespecting my parents, dishonoring my parents um, with the police and, and all the different things that I've gone through, um, I, it, wasn't, it wasn't worth it in the end. Mm-hmm. It wasn't worth it. Mm-hmm. No, I've never asked you this question, and I don't know that I even know the answer to it, having watched your life. As we wrap now around from 1996, you know, to 2021, 
How did your mom and dad wind up in Cleveland, Tennessee, the same place that they would get to be here now to live with you and Brandon and these grandbabies and all of this stuff, you know, um, wrap this story up because I think it has a very important piece of the puzzle. No, not everybody gets to live in proximity or geographically with their family. I get that, right? Some of us are fortunate enough to do that. Some, that's not always the, the, the opportunity. But, but I think that, you know, knowing your mom like I know your mom and dad and knowing you guys like I've seen you, how in the world did that happen? It seems like God just said, I'm going to give you guys just an, uh, a, a wonderful conclusion to a difficult start. Um, does it not answer the question that they left from California? <laughs> <laughs> to all of those I, I, in I California know, that are listening to our episode, sorry. it's okay. <laughs> Listen, there's lots of people from California that say, oh, I wish, we're, I wish I could live in Tennessee. My, yeah. my family and friends that come and visit me from California love this place. Yeah, yeah. But, um, and, and that kind of the condition that California is in now, Lord have yeah. mercy. But um, we're a very tight-knit family. Sure. I love my family very much. Um, my mom and dad came several times in 96, 97, and 98 to visit us. Um, I think that they just wanted to be near their girls. My yes. sister moved here in 97. Yeah. So she, both their daughters were living here. Both their grandsons were living here. And I think they just said it's time for us to move. And the That's cool awesome. thing was, was that when they left, uh, my mom had already retired from two places. Um, and then she came here, was hired um, and worked for Phil Barber at Lee University and yeah. worked here almost 18, 19 years on yeah. top of that. My dad was a, a court interpreter and then worked for a company, um, actually Toyota in um, Dalton, Georgia, where he uh, worked for the corporate office. And so, and then he retired from there. Yeah. So um, they have made such an impact on this community. Uh, the other day I was talking with someone I knew and um, she was married to an, an African from Nigeria and um, the woman said, um, your mom uh, used to bring my husband cakes for his birthday and always <laughs> made him feel so special. I said, my mom loves everyone sure. and makes everyone feel so sure. special. And so um, that was God's purpose for them to be here. Yeah. And they're still making huge, huge strides in this community, especially by helping the immigrants um, sure, that sure. come here. So. Yeah, and, I, and I've seen them do that. I mean, it's so, so incredible, so yeah. incredible. Now, I'm a little jealous today because you are fluent in Spanish and I'm not, although I'm trying my best to get Spanish, yeah. right? I'm yeah. trying to get Spanish. It kind of sounds dumb. I mean, how do you get Spanish? Right? <laughs> I'm trying to discipline my brain, Understand you know, to, yeah. to actually communicate and, and, and do well. Um, closing thoughts. This has been a joy to have you with us today, but closing thoughts. You know, what, what do you want people to know um, if this is their only chance to meet you, if this is their only chance to hear you? Yeah. What closing words might you have for them? Um, I don't care if you remember my name sure. or what I look like. Um, but what I do want people to know is um, what work, what kingdom work I did in, in, in this community. Mm -hmm. And not only in this community, but I've been a pro-life speaker um, since 2012. Yeah. And I've gone all over the country and just went international to, to Canada and um, and shared my story and tried to raise money for pregnancy centers. And so I want people to know my kingdom work mm -hmm. here and it caused it thrust them forward it, it, it bollows them mm -hmm. to say hey i need to work for the kingdom i need to do even though i may be in a secular job or, or full-time ministry whatever my job is to complete the assignment that god has ordained and anointed me for mm -hmm. at this time in in my life um, until completion mm -hmm. and uh and that's what i strive for um, I do not look for attention or approval from men. Mm -hmm. I want his approval. Sure, I want sure. him to look at me and say, well done, sure. good and faithful servant. Sure. 
Well, Evie, I think you are that good and faithful servant. I think you've done it very well in a world of chaos. Mm-hmm. And so in particular here at Cleveland, Tennessee, you know, we are delighted and thankful for the work of you and Brandon and what y'all do to Thank our community you. or do with our community and, and helping them. You know, I don't do this often on Servecast, but today um, um, I, want to, I want you to pray in just a minute. You know, before you do, um, if somebody wants to reach out to you, how do they how do they get how do they get a hold of you? Is there like a, a website for your book or an email? Like how um, can people get a hold of you? Well, yeah, they can they can email me at ewest mm-hmm. at clevelandtn.gov. Um, or I'm on Facebook, E okay. West. That's an easy way. People right. send me messages all the time that I sure. don't know if they hear me speak and, and I, I respond very quickly to that. All right. Good deal. It has been a joy to have you with Thank us today. You. I really do appreciate it. Hey guys, um, at the end of Evie's prayer, um, we're gonna do another university worship. Um, song or tune or whatever um, you know Luke decides to put on this today but we're gonna we're gonna have a moment of reflection after Evie prays then we'll we'll have that song and I want you to think about where you are and 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 let God speak to you today through this conversation this has been a wonderful opportunity to talk about a rough start and a great you know beginning finish and uh, you're not done yet Evie that's why I say beginning finish but a wonderful transition to where you are now and a transformation along the way but uh Guys, we're very thankful that you joined us today on this particular episode, and we'll catch you next time on Servecast because we'll go straight to this worship uh, meditation time after Evie prays for us today. Thank you, Evie. Thank you. Father, you are great. You are magnificent. There is no one, there is no one like you. You are King of kings and Lord of lords. And I am just so grateful and honored that you have chosen me to share your message of love and restoration and grace and compassion you've poured out on me. And so today, for all the listeners, Lord, I just pray that you will encounter them in a way, Lord, that they will feel your presence with them, God, just like you did so many times throughout my life. I mean, I can pinpoint all the times where I just felt you just so near to me, God. And so I'm asking you to encounter them in a way, Lord, that, that they will feel your presence, they will know you are there, and they can depend and trust on you. Lord, be with um, our friends and family, Lord, wherever they're at listening today. Um, just prove yourself faithful to them. If they're struggling, strengthen their faith. Protect their families in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thanks for tuning in to Surfcast with Dr. William Lamb. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Surfcast to stay updated on special guests and future episodes.